Well, Holy God, we thank you so much, first of all, Father, for the uh, being able to see that, that video and to see uh, the joy on Parker's face. And we pray, Lord, that even as uh, he has exciting times and moments like that, that his best times, Lord, would be in getting to know you, to know your son, Jesus Christ, and that his heart and his spirit would, would become yours, O oh Lord. We pray this day, Father, a prayer of thanks for all the blessings of life. Each and every day you work miracles, Lord, uh, just the miracle of a sunrise and a sunset, the miracles of, of friends and people who reach out. Father, uh, just the way you work things together in our lives. And yes, Father, it's a broken world and, and our lives are broken without your son, Jesus. But we still give you thanks, Lord, that that because you love this world, broken as it may be, that there is hope. And we pray we'll never lose that faith in you and that hope in what you have promised. We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ as together we sing your praises and amen. Good morning. Please join me in the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read, and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from Mark 8, verses 1 through 10. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also, and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanthia. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Judith. I was having some printer problems connecting to the printer downstairs this morning, so I wasn't able to print out the notes I have on my computer, so I quickly scratched down uh, what I had. So... uh, uh, I learned not to rely on manuscripts years ago when I left uh, in my three-point charge. I was preaching in the first one, and I left my papers there on the pulpit and got to the next church and realized I didn't have my sermon with me. So um, I try to uh, put as much as I can into my head, although my head doesn't seem to be able to hold as much as it used to. It Things seem to fly away real quick. What was I talking about? You know, <laughs> um, so today, uh, we're, we're in a very special week coming up. I don't know how much people have thought about this. It has been 50 years this, this week since the first men landed on the moon. 
uh, on Tuesday is the 50th anniversary of them leaving Earth, and then on Saturday uh, it will be the uh, the 20th. It will be the 50th anniversary of the landing on the moon and Neil Armstrong and the um, uh, crew with him. Uh, I think it was Buzz Aldrin was the second one. Wow. You imagine being the second one, you know, uh, on the moon. But uh, anyways, uh, PBS has a special about this. It's a six-hour total thing that starts from the beginning of the space program and goes through uh, the moon program, and um, uh, very, very interesting stuff. But uh, I was thinking about it because I was thinking about, I know very specifically where I was. I can see where I was when we were watching Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. Uh, because I wasn't just at home. I was uh, 14 years old and was on a trip out to Philmont Scout Ranch in Cimarron, New Mexico. Is anybody here? Any guys who ever made that trip out there? Yeah, Clint. How old were you, Clint? 13. Okay. Now, they had a, uh, you had to be 14 when I went, and I wonder if it was a birthday thing or something there, or you were just extraordinary. But uh, I know there were exemptions, or, or it could have been, you're so much older than me, it could have been they changed it. But for our trip uh, from Northern Virginia, the D.C. capital area, uh, we there was a crew formed of scouts from all different troops, and you'd go out together and you got to know each other, so we had a bus ride all the way out there. And along the way, we stopped at the Naval Air Station, uh, or, or I'm sorry, not the Air Station, but the Naval Station on the Mississippi River there in Memphis, and uh, we stayed there one night sleeping on, on cots, and uh, we saw the movie Ice Station Zebra. Does anybody remember that? It's like Ice Station Zebra it takes place at the North Pole and the submarine comes up through the ice and that's about all I remember of it. But uh, we, see, I can remember these things because it's, you know, when you're doing something special, you, your memory tends to, to lock in on things. And then we made our way across the country. We got to Colorado and we stayed at, at uh, Peterson, Air, Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado Springs. Uh, Philmont was down in Cimarron, New Mexico, not too far away from there. Uh, it's a high adventure scout camp that back in the, uh, oh, that was 1969, uh, cost over $600. You can imagine that was pretty expensive for back then. So this was a trip of my life and we, and we stop at Peterson's Air, Air Force Base and I don't remember that I was really thinking a whole lot about the moon landing. But the Air Force, uh, the uh, Air Force men, the airmen uh, invited us to come and watch the landing with them. So you're imagining some big fancy setup. It's an Air Force base, right? You know, and for this event, they had a little little TV there. I remember it was a real small TV, and we all gathered into this room together and watched it, which was kind of cool to do that with them. And it reminded me this week as I was thinking about it, that there are things that happen in your life that you can remember where you were when it happened. Lots of things you can't remember where you were, but you remember, you know, when Kennedy was shot, I remember uh, hearing about it. They didn't tell us at school. They dropped us off at home on the school buses, and then one of the neighbors was out there to get her son and and, and, and told me, and um, I guess I was eight years old at that time. You remember these things. And uh, I was wondering about with Jesus when he feeds the 5,000, and in, in today's scripture, he feeds the 4,000. This is the second time he has miraculously, miraculously fed multitudes. And I wonder if the people went years later and said, where were you when Jesus 
did this miracle or that miracle or when Jesus passed through your town and people no doubt would say, oh, I remember that day. You know, it was sunny and, and hot, but he came through and I remember our neighbor, uh, she came to him and, and he healed her and, and I remember and I remember and I remember, I remember these things that lodge in our memories. And so this story we have because somebody remembered it and prompted by the Holy Spirit, put it down in the Gospel of Mark and said, this is important for people to know. It's important for people 2,000 years from now to know about this thing. The thing is, too, that as I was thinking about it and going, thinking about the Gospels and all the things that Jesus did, I remembered a scene from Jesus Christ Superstar. Anybody know the scene where Jesus has gone and healed people and then pretty soon everybody is crowding in on him and crowding in, you know, heal me, feed me, Jesus, you know, and they're all screaming. And how Jesus, in, in the midst of all this, just the demands upon him, everybody's saying, do it, do it again, Lord, do it again. Heal me, feed me, heal me, feed me. And I remembered... Uh, a story about on the day of creation. Can you imagine uh, the angels in heaven saying, do you, do you remember where you were when God created the universe? <laughs> do you remember the first day? What were you doing? And, and someone says that the angels were gathered together and when the morning and the evening were the first day, well, when the evening was ending and the sun was going down, that all the angels gathered together and cried out to God the Father and said, said do it again. Do it again. All clapping their hands like little kids. Do it again. We want to see this again. And now you know uh, so many, so many sunrises and sunsets later, you know, the angels probably still say, do you remember that first, that first day? Do it again, Lord. Do it again. But the thing that, about Jesus in these stories is that struck, struck me this time as I read over this was, why in the world are the disciples there at all? You know, uh, when I read about religious figures through the ages, you don't read usually about their disciples. They don't, they don't have people around them. It's focused on Buddha. It's focused on Muhammad. But Jesus had a gang. He had a group of guys who he would say to them in here, he'd say, how much bread do you have? <laughs> Tell me about your inventory, your food. And then Jesus will pray over it, and then he'll give it to them and let them distribute. Keep distributing, and let's see what happens here. Where you know that Jesus could have just dropped a refrigerator from heaven down right into the midst of the crowd, said, here you go. He could have made manna from heaven to drop down, rain down, here you go. But he involves the disciples. And we're all the time telling God to do it again, do it again, heal me, God, answer this prayer, do this, putting demands on God. And yet Jesus was very careful to make sure that the disciples knew that this was their ministry too. And even though he could do everything himself, he was going to let them be involved. Just as, as God, when Noah uh, was, was asked to build the, the ark, why in the world? There's going to be a great flood. Why make Noah work for decades on building an ark when God could have just dropped a big cruise liner right down, plop in the place? Why make, put him through all that? What is the reason? Why make these disciples do all of this? Why? And as I went through scriptures, I realized because we're partners in ministry. And any good leader is going to do what? You know, when we were on the mission trip in Kentucky, they say to the adults, don't do all the work yourself. Even if you could do it faster and better, let the young people do the work. Because it tightens relationships. It gives them a sense that they're part of this too. And it strengthens your relationships with them to do that. 
And if we look at the Bible, if we go back uh, before Noah, if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, it says this specifically, and I think we forget this a lot of time. It said that the earth had all of these things upon it, but that the plants, the shrubs, were not there yet. God had created everything, but the plants and shrubs and, and all these things that were going to grow were not there yet. Why not? It says because there was no man yet to cultivate them. No man yet. God was waiting to create man to plant all these things so that man could have a part in the cultivation of this. And he creates this garden, the Garden of Eden, and it says, and he puts the man down into the garden. Why? Well, to cultivate the garden. Man is put in there as a gardener. Now, if God had wanted to, he could have simply put man down into that garden and God could have just walked around or had the angels walk around and they could just pluck plums off the tree and apples and whatever and just take them over to Adam and Adam could sit there and get fat and happy and that could have been it. But he wanted Adam to be part of the creation story, to be part of that. And that's so important. And in the same way, he invites us to be part of the creation ministry partners in ministry with God. That's a heady thing if you stop and think about it. What, what is your job in life? What is your vocation? What do you like to do? I like to partner with God in creation. You know, well, what does that mean? Well, I take care of the earth. That's part of it. You know, I, I like to be out piddling around in my garden. You know, I like taking care of my bees. I like taking care of my chickens, all these things I have. I realize that deep within there, us, there is this thing in there, we're created in the image of God, that we want to relate to God in some way, and what better way to create to, to, to relate to him than through his creation? Not just the natural world out here, apart from man, but including human beings, to be in relation with human beings. Christianity is a relationship-based faith. We are saved by faith in who? Someone. Not just a, a not just a blind faith in a God who we don't know, but a, but a Savior who dies for us on the cross, and whose Spirit lives within us. It's all about relationships. And that's why the church is so important because Jesus Christ established the church as a means of people to be in relationship with each other. But the fact of the matter is, and this is the bad news part of this, most of us don't get too involved. We say we've got other things to be involved with. And you know what? If something is God-honoring, kingdom-building, if it helps people, if it's a work of mercy, even if it's outside of the church, that's a wonderful thing. But a lot of us just, you know, the old Keith Green thing I like to to recite, that that Jesus uh, rose from the dead and we can't even get out of bed. Some of us are just lazy. The seven deadly sins, one of them is sloth. We're, we're a slothful people. And we get lazy. I realize we have limitations, but some of us are milking that for all that we can get, you know, and staying in bed. So, so we've got this whole thing where God has invited us, and Jesus invited us to be what? Fishers of men. That's our primary responsibility. He wants us to go out and to catch men for the gospel, for the kingdom, to share the good news of Jesus with others so they'll come in. You know, I've got, I mentioned the chickens. I've got, I've got chickens in my backyard. In, in Stanton, they changed the zoning a few years back. Lydia and I went to the, to the city government meetings, and somebody got, came to one of those meetings and scared a few of the city councilmen to death about disease from chickens. 
And uh, I'm sitting there, you've got to be kidding me, you know. And I, I thought, we got birds up flying over us all the time, birds all around us, and we're going to get this, this, this uh, disease that's shared by all kinds of things that the chickens get from the birds, but we're not going to shoot all the birds, you know. So, so we can't have chickens. But they, they passed it narrowly. They passed and said you could have up to six hens in your backyard, no roosters. Well, I had a guy, he sold me a hen very young. Well, you know, chickens are a little bit to, to determine, hard to determine the gender on them sometimes. And we thought this was a, a hen. But as time went on, I'm starting to look at this and I'm noticing the relationship with the other hens. And I'm thinking something is going on. Lydia said, do you think that he's transgender? And uh, <laughs> I said, Lord, don't get into that. I'm, you know, uh, but it got a little suspicious, and then finally it was confirmed a couple of weeks ago when he was crowing from the redbud tree. 5.30 in the morning, and I'm running out, and I'm thinking, what, Lord, one of the neighbors is going to hear this, and they're going to complain, and then you know, they'll, they'll come over and make me get rid of all my chickens because I'm violating the law here. So finally, uh, Thursday evening, I determined, like, uh, this, this one's going to go. So I put him on, put him on uh, Facebook. And the next morning then, I looked for some hens. I, I, I could have gotten three more hens, but I, I got two up in Elkton. So I ran up to Elkton um, uh, Friday after being at the uh, community center. And I go up to Elkton, and I get these two very nice hens, guaranteed to be hens. They're four months old. They're not a week old like this other one was. So I can tell you, these are hens. And I take them back. And then I've got to get the rooster. Now, this rooster is a leg bar, a cream leg bar rooster, and they are very fast. They're very good at evading predators, and they're very good at evading their owners. And so I decided I was going to go get a big fishing net at Walmart. So I walk into Walmart. Now, I'm not a fisherman, okay? I don't fish. It's all too slow for me, too slow. Golf, too slow. Uh, Baseball, I tolerate. Because I got all the statistics I can look at as it takes 10 minutes for a guy to complete his bat. So, uh, so I'm not a fisherman, but there I am in the fishing department and I'm looking at these nets and they got these, you know, some you can extend the pole to three feet, different types, different sizes. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, the bigger the better, right? It's going to be easier with the big net. So I pull down the big net and this guy immediately, he's walking down the aisle and he says, he says, oh, you're going to need a bigger net than that from what you're thinking about, you know. And he's laughing. He says, you've got big dreams. And I, I said, well, no, this is for chicken of the sea. Uh, <laughs> I said, I, I've, got, I've got a rooster I need to catch. He said, well, I guess that'll do it. And so, so, so I, you know, it was nice. I met a guy. We have a little talk and all, too. Uh, even gave me his name. And I said, my name is Corky. And then, uh, <laughs> but then I'm walking along with this net. And I'm noticing people are looking at me differently. Like the guys are winking and like, yeah, he's, he's going fishing. He's catching some big things. Or maybe some of them are thinking, uh, he, he, he's, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's not catching anything that big. And I mean, this net is, let me see, I'm a fisherman. Right? This net is like, like this, this big. I think I lost my, yeah, there we go. Uh, so I'm walking through Walmart and like I say men are looking at me differently but women are too 
It's like they're smiling. Look at his big net, you know, and I'm, I'm walking around. I'm feeling like a macho man now. I look great with this net. And so then I'm thinking as I go up to the cashier, I'm thinking, next time I come into Walmart, I'm going to go back there and grab one of those nets and just walk around with it, you know, and then put it back when I'm ready to go, you know. This is, this is a great thing. So then I got to thinking, there's a lot of Christians like that. Jesus gave us a net to go do some fishing for men. He gave us the gospel. He gives us the tools. And we're walking around with them. You know, we know how to use them. But we don't. We have the appearance of a church that's going out and fishing for men. We all got our nets. The world's looking at us and saying, well, look at them. They're going out to get some men for Jesus. But we don't. I think we've gotten so... Well, we've fallen asleep. And that's true of pastors. It's so easy to be seduced into this sloth and to forget that we have a job to do. I think I've shared with you one time in the eight years I've been here sometime about, about the difference. I went back and looked at the hymns that were in the songbook of the church that I went to when I was a kid. And even the, the, the songbooks, of the hymn books of the United Methodist Church are different now than they were when you guys were younger or the EUB when you were younger. They used to have different hymns. Uh, we had one, work for the night is coming. Work for the night is coming. Others about working in the vineyard of the Lord. I will work and pray, I will work and pray in the vineyard, in the vineyard of the Lord. I remember those songs. You can't find them around now. Why? Because people don't want to talk about work. We don't want to talk about work. We don't want to be made feel, feel guilty for not working. And, and, and now we, we talk about how much we need to self-care. When I became a pastor, I said to the bishop one time, I was at a retreat, and he was talking about the importance of self-care. And you need to make sure that you take off X number of days a week. And, you, and he's going on with this whole thing. And, and, and I remember saying to him, Bishop Pennell, I said, you know, I just came out of, I sold a business. I, for 20 years, I worked really hard in this business. And then I had a farm I'd go home to every night, and I had my goats and my chickens and everything. And I was busy, busy, busy. And not one time in those 20 years did anyone say to me, Bob, you need to do some self-care. You need to slow down. Because people knew that if a business is to succeed, the owner's got to work hard, right? You've got to work hard. And even my wife understood that. And yet here I am, a pastor, and I'm excited about being a pastor. I'm ready to go out and take my fishing net and catch somebody. And I'm being told, take care of yourself. Make sure you take plenty of days off. You know, and, and I said to the bishop, I said, it's kind of odd that when I was working for the things of earth, nobody ever said, don't work so hard. But now that I'm working for the kingdom of God, I'm being told, don't work so hard. I think somebody needs to rise up and lead a revival that reclaims the good name of work and says work isn't always bad. Work can be replenishing. If it's work that's righteous and holy and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can work and feel rewarded and feel good and grow in Christ. It's not just a bad thing. And so when I look at these disciples this morning in this story, 
And they are the bumbling, fumbling disciples that they always are. You know, oh Lord, there's no way these people can be fed. Oh yeah, we know you just did it in another place. But it can't happen again, can it, Lord? I look at them, and I look at them after the day of Pentecost, and I look at them filled with the Holy Spirit, and I look at the power of their preaching and their speaking and the way that they they devoted themselves. And I look at at the Apostle Paul saying in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, saying, saying that you are God's workmanship created for good works. Why are we created? Genesis 2, why was Adam created? For good works. And we need to remember that. And we need to stop making excuses why we can't do something and start finding the Spirit to go ahead and to say, I will do it, Lord. I will do it again, and then I'll do it again. I'm not just going to be asking you, Lord, to do it again, to heal me again, to provide for me again. All the requests I make for you in prayer every day, but I'm also going to say, Lord, direct me in some place where I can do some good for you. You see... Now, back to Noah, I'm sure, after all that work, that as hard as it was, think about what God was doing with him. If he had just dropped the cruise liner in there, they would have taken it for granted. But that was a family project. His sons worked with him. The whole family worked together. That there were rewards that came out of that and plenty of good things that came out of that. And when I was a teenager, because my parents hated me, they didn't give me a car for my graduation. Although they gave one to my sister and they gave one to my little brother. And they skipped me in the middle. I won't get into the whole longer story of this, except to say that years later, when they offered to buy me a car when I was 27 years old, because they realized that they had not done that like they should have, but I said, you know what, thinking about it, my first car I bought myself. And I took care of that thing. And my brother and sister, they, they, they trashed their cars. They could have cared less. I said, I'm so thankful that you didn't buy me that car. You know, God is trying to teach us something here to make us not just better Christians and better followers of Jesus Christ, but better people and happier people. The happiest people I know are the people who have put themselves out there for other people, and who serve them. So think about that. Pray about it and ask God to find that place, if you haven't already, where you can be of greatest service to someone. I'm not calling on anybody today, Corky. Or they, no, no, go ahead, Corky. That's all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Here's, here's the end. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. This is very interesting. So anyways, this guy, it ended up, I found out only after he had taken the rooster from me, he was down in Lexington. I had to drive all the way to Lexington that he owned an Italian restaurant. So I, I, I don't know what happened to the rooster. But that was okay with me because here's what happens. Here's what happened with this rooster. I went to get him and he was up in the tree. He was up in top of this red bud. So I'm shaking the red bud trying to get him to come down and he pooped on me. God's honest truth, I had the stride right walk shirt that we had walked for the, uh, stri- uh, for the comfort care organization down here, and he pooped right down it, and I could smell it, and it was just, it was horrible. 
So he finally, he jumped down, and I took the net, and I chased him around the yard, probably four laps around the fence, until I finally nabbed him with the net, and he was not happy. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that they're not there. Uh, yeah, that wasn't my make-a-wish day, okay. <laughs> so, uh, but that's what happened. I was very happy to see that. In fact, I said to Lydia last night, I wish I'd done this a couple of months ago to get rid of him. And, and the two new little hens are the four months old. They're, they're doing great. And they've been accepted by the other hens, whereas he never was because he was always chasing them around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're kind of strange. Well, we won't get into all that because I'm giving you all a little bit of a break and I'm going to take off early because I need to do some self-care. And we've got five minutes to 12, so we're going to go ahead and end. But, but uh, seriously, make that uh, commitment to uh, pray to God and say, Lord, uh, fill my days with service to you. And things that will, uh, though they may require energy out of me, they will replenish my soul and my spirit. So uh, let's stand. We're going to sing our song of, of uh, invitation this morning. And let's uh, uh, ask God to lead us uh, wherever he would have us to go. Well, as we leave this place this day, God sends us out uh, not to abandon the church for another week, but to remember that the church is out there. That's where we live. That's where we breathe. That is where God calls us to be. So go take your fishing nets and go out and do some fishing this week for the Lord. Go in his peace and amen.